Today on Own the Future, we are going to talk about why doing bad work and why doing less work is a good idea. Welcome to Own the Future, a podcast dialoguing with creatives and entrepreneurs to better understand who we are, the work that we do, and how we will shape and own the future, which is your future. And I am your host, Lucas Robot, SK Robot, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's episode where we talk about two things why you should do bad work and why you should do less work. This idea comes out of my book, which should be released inshallah by the end of the year. It is in typeset and final minor tweaks and edits. Now, the name of the book is Anchored, The Discipline to Stop Drifting. And the reason that I thought to share uh, some excerpts from the book this week is from our last episode with Arbaid Abdur, where we he touched on him and I touched on a, f- a few points that uh, I wanted to unpack in this episode and kind of drill down a little deeper. The first point was take a thousand photos. Maybe you only get one good photo out of it, but if you take a thousand photos, you're going to become a better photographer. The second point that he made was having a daily morning routine where every day he is doing a a specific march, if you will, a specific action every morning so that every day he's laying bricks towards his goal, not just hoping that one day it will magically appear. I hope this is beneficial. At the end, there's going to be really concrete, actionable takeaway steps for you to apply to your life, and I hope you enjoy the episode. So without further ado, here are two stories. The Perfect Pot. There once was an art professor who decided to run an experiment in his pottery class. He split his class into two groups, telling the first group to only make one pot for the entire semester and their grade would rest upon the quality of that single pot. To the second half, he told them they would be graded on the quantity, the number of pots that they produced over the course of the semester, meaning the more pots they made, the better their grade. At the end of the semester, the professor chose the best quality pots from the quantity group and he displayed them side by side along the quality pots from the first group. The professor brought in an outside expert to judge the quality of the pots produced, but he didn't tell the judge how the pots had been made and that there are two different groups. You guessed it. The best pots came from the group who produced a large quantity of pots rather than the group that tried to create the perfect pot. Their practice made for perfection, not their thinking, analyzing, or planning. In the same way, if you desire to grow in a skill like public speaking, tweaking your PowerPoint presentation until it's perfect won't improve your skill, at least not very much. But 
if you start seeking opportunities to share with people, you will become more aware what works to engage people and what does not work. If you want to be a writer, then write every day. You might think you've already found your voice and your target audience, but if you keep producing, you might be surprised to find out what your friends and audience actually want to read in comparison to what you think they might want or need. And you might also be surprised to find out what you enjoy writing about. Stop planning and start doing. You can always make improvements along the way. It is important to have a vision and a dream. It is a good idea to support that vision with a three, five, 10 year plan, sure. A brilliant plan, however, without action is worthless. Don't be afraid to start with a half-baked idea. We must venture out before we know where we are going or how we will get there. We must begin when no one else is interested, and we must follow those who have pioneered a way before anyone else is following them. The work must be started for the dream to come to pass. Start with your hands, and your heart, and your head won't be far behind. The 20-Mile March It was the summer of 1910. Virtually the entire world had been explored, and in the minds of many, there was only one frontier that remained, the South Pole. Thousands of miles away from civilization, Antarctica remained one of the last places untouched by the modern world. Robert Scott from England and Roland Amundsen from Norway led two separate expeditions racing each other to reach the bottom of the world for land and country. But both men had very different styles of leadership. Scott launches expedition from the same starting point as previous explorers, whereas Amundsen started 60 miles closer to the pole, cutting their round-trip journey by 120 miles. Scott wanted to reach the pole and gather scientific data by collecting rocks, performing experiments, and surveying the land. Amundsen, however, focused on only one goal, getting to the pole and back, first and alive. Scott equipped his company with motorized sleds that broke down, ponies that had to be put down, and dogs that were sent back because they were ill-suited for the journey. The result was Scott's men having to pull their 200-pound sleds for over a 1,000 miles. Amundsen put his faith in proper sled dogs due to his experience in Norway, which freed his men from exerting needless effort. Scott failed to prepare for the unexpected. He simply trusted the experience of previous explorers, whereas Amundsen planned for the worst. Not only that, he and his men worked tirelessly to make their sleds and equipment as practical, durable, lightweight, and user-friendly as possible, resulting in lighter loads, faster sleds, and quicker setup and teardown times for their camp. 
There was one last major difference that set Scott and Amnonston apart. It was their daily schedules. Scott and his men traveled as much each day as the weather and their strength allowed. When the weather permitted, some days they trekked for up to nine hours straight. Yet, during inclement weather, they didn't leave their tents at all. Amundsen, on the other hand, decided they would travel one quarter of a degree of latitude every day, which is 15 nautical miles or around 20 miles a day. Hiking 20 miles a day across Antarctica is hard, but realistic. Through blizzards or sunshine, they marched 20 miles each day, no more and no less. On average, they spent five to six hours on their feet each day and up to 16 hours resting in their tents. The tragic outcome was as follows. Scott and his men ran out of food and water, dying just 12 miles short of their supply cache. Yet Amundsen and company reached the South Pole and returned with food to spare. Scott's company marched as far as they could when they were feeling in the groove and things were going in their favor. And then they waited for better luck when circumstances were unfavorable. Some days they would exhaust themselves by marching for extraordinary stretches. And the next, they wouldn't move at all. Their inconsistency killed their confidence and they had no clear expectation for when or if they might reach the pole. Amundsen, however, chose a pace that challenged his men, but which was still attainable no matter what the weather. Each day, they knew they were getting closer to their goal, and their consistency built their morale and gave them strength for their journey. So what can we learn from this story? For starters, circumstances change constantly. Some days the sun shines on us and we feel like we can do no wrong. On other days, the storms billow against us. Nothing goes right. And we feel as if merely getting out of bed is success. If our work is dependent on our circumstance and mood, we will not travel far and we may perish along the way. However, if we commit to executing a manageable amount of work each day, rain or shine, we shall overcome. Learning a language is not like learning mathematics. When we learn a math equation, you can memorize a series of letters and symbols and then plug in your variables and process the equation. Yet when learning a language, your subconscious mind must process new sounds, attribute meaning, rework grammar structure, and so on. When you are talking to your friend or listening to a podcast like this one, you do not have to think about the words coming out of your mouth or the meaning of words that are being spoken to you. Your subconscious mind does that for you. In language learning, the growth chart often looks stagnant until one day you just jump to the next level. The trick to advancing and jumping to a new stage is through daily diligence over time. There are no shortcuts. 
This is the classic story of the tortoise and the hare, which we have heard since childhood. This story has played out many times throughout history, including in 1910 in the race to the South Pole. You see, professionals show up when they don't feel like it and meet deadlines, whereas amateurs show up when they feel like it and don't have deadlines to meet. Though you may be an amateur in the eyes of the world, if you approach your craft like a professional, clocking in daily, rain or shine, eventually you will become a master. Limiting work. Yes, long-term success is found by getting up and working hard on a daily basis. But there is more to it than just hard work. In the story of Scott and Amundsen's race to the South Pole, we see that Amundsen's success was tied to marching every day, even when the men didn't feel like it. But you need to notice they also implemented a second element. Amundsen limited the amount of work that his men could do on a given day. Amundsen had one goal, get to the pole and back alive. Beyond that, he made sure that when his men were not hiking, they were resting. Amundsen also limited the amount of miles that they hiked each day. Even if the weather was perfect and the wind was at their back, allowing them to hike the distance in half the normal time, they would stop at 20 miles. It was limiting the workload that enabled his men to do more over the long run. Like Amundsen, you must place limits on productivity so that you might be productive. You can easily be fooled into believing that if a little is good, more is better. Water is good, but drinking too much water in a given period of time will kill you. Limiting production can actually produce a higher, more sustainable, and better quality of work over decades. Limiting the number of hours you work in a given day or week can be just as important as making sure you show up and work hard. Us humans often have a I-am-an-above-average-person persona about us. People like to think they are the exception to the rule, tricking themselves into believing a couple extra hours of work will produce above-average results. This may be true for about one week before your humanity catches up with you, but soon your productivity will drop below average without you being aware of it. You will believe that you are still doing an above-average job, but the facts will prove otherwise. What is most unfortunate is that when you do return to working normal hours, it will take a few weeks for your mind and body to recover before you function at your peak level. We like to think that we can power through, but it is not a sustainable practice for a productive life. It merely places stress on our relationships, health, and our spirits. As faithful, diligent stewards of our souls, health, and families, we must limit the amount of time we spend working. 
So that begs the question, how much should you limit your workload? That is something you will have to explore for yourself. For assembly lines and industrial labor, the standard is 40 hours a week. For people dealing with information such as writers, musicians, programmers, bloggers, and so on, after 35 hours a week, the mind begins to weaken. People working with creativity and information need time and extra sleep to allow creativity to grow and solutions to form. Much of our creative thinking and solutions come from our subconscious mind. When learning a language, sleeping is the best tool available because during sleep, the mind transfers information from short-term to long-term memory and works hard to process sound, grammar, and vocabulary. When stuck on a problem or suffering from a creative block, sleep, even a short nap, will often produce answers and breakthrough as well as to increase performance and alertness. To discover how to function optimally, you will need to measure your mental acuteness, your quality of work, and quantity of work over time. Sleeping your way to productivity. In my early 20s, I looked at leaders around me who, at least so I thought, only needed four to six hours of sleep per night. I envied them, so I decided to give it a try. After a week of getting only four or six hours of sleep per night, I wound up sick, and it would take me a week or two before I returned to a normal level of competency and productivity. But that was only the beginning of my experimentations with sleep. In university, I found myself pulling about an all-nighter per week as I struggled to finish reading books and getting my papers written on time. Because of this, I, at one point, tried to switch to a 48-hour day where I would stay up 36 hours working on papers through the night when no one could bother me, and then I would crash for 12 hours. Yeah, that lasted for about a week before my body rebelled again. Then I tried to go to bed at 7 or 8 in the evening so I could wake up at 3 or 4 in the morning, again, to maximize my work time without distractions. But that only lasted about a week or two before life caught up with me. As a result of my failures, I ended up resenting myself and my body for needing nine hours of sleep to feel restful and to function properly. I fought my quote-unquote weakness with all my strength. I would dream about how amazing it would be and how awesome my life would be if I only needed six hours of sleep. I fantasized about how much more I could accomplish if only my body would cooperate. I was radical and ignorant, and I was a fool. You see, sleeping eight hours a night and refusing to work overtime might be the most important thing you can do to increase your productivity. Getting less than eight hours of sleep can actually shorten your life and cause your productivity to decline sharply. That's not just a good idea, but there's actually research to back this. In 2003, research from Harvard Medical School did a research on the effect of sleep deprivation. They created three groups in this study and had one group sleep for four hours, another group sleep for six hours, and a third group 
for eight hours a night for two weeks straight. They created a fourth group that would receive no sleep over a period of three days. So they'd be up for 72 hours straight. All of the participants were held under standardized conditions over the course of those two weeks for those on a restricted sleep schedule and those, of course, for the duration of the three days who were getting no sleep at all. After two weeks, those getting eight hours of sleep each showed no change in performance. Those who received four to six hours of sleep each night demonstrated decreasing performance levels and increasing sleepiness. The studies found that the effect of sleep deprivations are cumulative. The longer the subjects were kept in a sleep-restrictive environment, the worse their performance became. Even though the performance of the sleep-deprived participants continued to drop, the participants were not aware of their decreased performance or their increased sleepiness. The most shocking discovery of the study was that at the end of the two weeks, those who received six or less hours of sleep each night were functioning with the same motor skills and cognitive abilities and decision-making abilities as the participants who had not slept for 48 hours straight. The difference between those who didn't sleep for two days and those who are on a reduced sleep schedule over two weeks is that the latter group, the group that didn't sleep for two weeks, was dangerously unaware of their complete impairment, whereas those who were up for 48 hours straight could actually tell that they weren't performing at their peak. So what can we learn from this? Well, the fastest way to improve your productivity is to stop working when you should be sleeping. Sleep impacts not only your mental state, but also your health. While you are sleeping, your body is working hard to clean up cell waste in the brain and repair the body. If you lack sleep, your body will not be able to perform these vital functions. A cumulative sleep deprivation can also lead to high blood pressure and even death. So, if you are cutting into your sleep time in an effort to boost your productivity, you're deceiving yourself. Sleep well and you will live well and work well. So what can we learn from this episode about the, the two things, creating more bad work so that you can hone your craft and become better over time and limiting the work that you do in a day while setting daily goals or a 20-mile march. So first, I would say stop analyzing your life. Stop turning your dreams over and over and over, trying to perfect them or, or waiting to start until you feel ready. Start working with your hands today and you'll figure out what you're doing tomorrow. Maybe. For instance, if you don't have the perfect workout plan, just start working out. If you don't feel qualified in something, who cares? Step out anyways. Don't pretend to be an expert. Admit that you're a student and you're learning. If you're feeling undereducated or untrained to start your dream business, just make the, a product or a service in its simplest form 
and start selling it to friends, families, and strangers to see if it's a good idea or not. In applying the 20-mile march, it's pretty simple. What you want to do is take small, tangible steps towards a bigger goal each day. Decide where you want to go and then create a daily action plan that will take you there. I think the difficult part in deciding the 20-mile march is determining which area of your life you want to initiate a 20-mile march in. To determine the small daily steps you need to take, you need to know where you're going. My suggestion is to complete the following list of questions to determine what your personal 20-mile march will be. This list will be in the show notes for you to fill out and answer on your own time, and I hope it serves as a good tool for you. Number one, review your life vision. What do you want to be said of you when you die? If you don't have a life vision, make one up. Two, list long-term goals that serve that personal life vision. Three, examine the short-term goals that serve your long-term goals and life vision. Four, find the area or goal that holds the greatest importance in this season of life in light of where you want to end up. Five, once you've narrowed down the area of life or specific goal, break down what you need to do on a daily basis to achieve that short-term task. Don't get carried away in trying to do everything in one day. Ideally, your daily task can be completed in one or two hours. And it is also best if you're able to complete this march in the morning before lunchtime, because this is the time of day where your motivation is highest. Number seven, the task should be more than just researching or planning your dream. It should be doing, learning, and growing from experience. For example, if you want to become a better photographer, take and edit a few photos each day during that hour of your march. If, for instance, you want to grow in relationships with people, write a letter, make a phone call, get coffee with someone on a daily basis. But whatever you do, Just don't be overwhelmed if you aren't sure where to start. Just start somewhere. Head out in a week's time or a month's time. You will not have lost anything if you decide to change your course. You'll be on the road, and that is what matters. Hey, guys, thank you for listening to this week's episode. Thank you for tuning in. Please check out the show notes if you need more help on creating your life goals, long-term goals, short-term goals, and how to establish a 20-mile march. Also, email me, leave me a comment, let me know what you thought about this episode and if it helped you or not. And I will see you next time on Own the Future.